0: Welcome to the West Shore History Podcast, Episode 13, Ghostly Terrors. I'm your ghost, I mean host, Sue Harper. Cultures all over the world believe in spirits that survive death to dwell in another realm. The idea that the dead remain with us in spirit is ancient and appears in countless stories from the Bible to Macbeth. It has even spawned the folklore genre ghost stories. Are monsters hiding in the forest? Do ghosts haunt our houses, play pranks, and scare the living? As we are approaching Halloween, here's three short stories from newspapers of the past whose intent was to scare and make the hairs on your neck stand up. I have to give you some instructions to get prepared for this episode. Light a candle, turn off all the lights, curl up on the couch, and have a friend, pet, or blanket ready to clutch. Imagine being deep inside an old growth forest, alone, with just a compass to guide you as you listen to the tale of the Simoqui from 1853. As I walked a little outside of Victoria, I met an Indian along a trail and understanding the language, he commenced telling me a story of hobgoblins and ghosts. After a time, he asked if I had heard of the Simoqui. I replied, I never had. Well, he said, sit down and hear the tale. Close your eyes and listen carefully. By the side of a lake, amongst the mountains, where the cracks of a rifle have never been heard, and the deer, wolves, and mighty bear All Rome, unacquainted with the smell of deadly gunpowder, lives the terrible Simoqui. From these mountains, the daring hunter, who ventures to pursue game, seldom returns to tell the tale of his wanderings. No berries in the whole world are so large, or so sweet, or so nourishing, as the berries in Simoqui country. Yet who dares gather them besides their terrible owners? The Simoqui are tall, strong, athletic, with heavy black whiskers and matted hair. They are totally without knee or elbow joints, and depend upon staffs to assist them in rising or sitting down. They leap with the aid of their staffs to a great distance, like the deer whose widespread antlers would seem to be a hindrance. The Simoqui never miscalculates the distance he has to spring, with a space which he has to leap. They are agile, quiet, quick, and deadly. Their eyes are large and red and shine like a torch. His teeth are black and his hands and feet are webbed like waterfowl. They have canoes and hunt with bows and arrows made from the bones of the dead. Every Simaqui is provided with two torches. That is his eyes. If a fire is needed, dry sticks or matches, are not needed. His eyes start the wood into a blaze. If his hands are cold, he raises them to the level of his torches and warms them. The unfortunate who chance to visit their country are immediately seized, killed, or enslaved. Their ultimate fates are unknown. Are there any Simaqui today? I asked the narrator. Yes, they live by the side of a lake on a big mountain where the shores are covered with gold. But don't venture too far, as they lurk quietly waiting. They are the predator, you are the prey. The next tale is from 1883, entitled All Alone. When a house is alone by itself, persons may believe that it behaves as it does when there are people in it. This is a delusion. If you are alone in the midnight hour, its true disposition will reveal itself. To catch it, pretend to retire or put out the gas lamp and go upstairs. Afterwards, come down softly into the empty parlor and seat yourself. No sooner you will hear a cheep, cheep, cheep along the top of the room, a small but persistent sound. As you sit, you now become quite sure there is someone coming down the stairs. What folly. There's no one to come down, but there, no, it's in the kitchen stairs. Somebody is coming up. You grab the poker and stand with your back against the wall. Nobody comes up. Finally, you decide you are a goose. Put the poker down, get a magazine and try to read. There, that's the door. You heard the latch turn. You run to the back door, unlock it and unbolt it and peep out. But as you linger, the door gives a click that makes you jump. By daylight, neither lock nor stairs make any noises unless they are touched or trodden on. You go back to the parlor in a hurry with a feeling that the next thing you know Something may catch you by the back hair. Now it's the table that snaps and cracks. You take the easy chair and grow dreamy. Suddenly, the bookcase fires off a pistol. A loud, fierce cracks come from the heart of the piece of furniture. So loud, so fierce that you jump to your feet, trembling. You can't stand the parlor any longer and go upstairs. But no sooner do you get there when somebody or something is walking on the roof. Nothing has ever moaned in the chimney, but something moans now. Then the ghostly steps in the bathroom. You do not dare to look. The gas lamp bobs up and down in a phantom dance and goes out on a blue explosion. The blinds shake as if a hand clutched them, and finally a doleful cat begins to moan in the cellar but you don't have a cat. You sit with a blanket over your head, shivering, and believe in the old ghosts. You have found out how a house behaves when it's alone. It's now 1897. It's late at night. The wind blows cold, and black clouds set sail before a silver moon. Even a nearby street light does not relieve the gloom. From out of the mist, a ghostly carriage draws up noiselessly before a grim building, The Undertaker's. Two white figures shrouded head to foot in flowing robes, without a sound, and nary a stub toe, they glide across the perilous walk to the parlor, open the door, and enter. To quote the fascinating record, evidently these forms were weary of this world, for they had no sooner entered the store than they asked to be buried. They hung around these visitants a strong aroma, and by its scent the young man in the establishment knew that he was in the presence of spirits, Apparently, wry. With dedication, the unsympathetic apprentice rudely refused internment, at which one spirit became insistent, stretching himself at full length in a coffin and begging to be buried. Just then, the good proprietor appeared and the unearthly visitors turned to him. Alas, he had to decline also, saying that his hands were tied by red tape, no burial certificate no burial not only that but he ordered the hapless souls out and contacted the police he stated ghost stories were all well to read about but he had no use for any spirits at his place the police equally lacking in respect for the dead found one spirit minus his shroud consoling himself at a nearby bar charged with being drunk in a public place he failed to appear The mortal bar of justice. I hope you've enjoyed these ghostly tales from the West Shore History Podcast. Do you believe in ghosts, spirits, or paranormal activities? Or are they just a product of an overactive imagination? Either way, I think I'll leave a light on tonight